Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Anthony Hennen of the Center Square. Thank you, Anthony, for joining us this morning. Of course. Thanks for having me on. So tell me about it, because it seems for city residents, they say, oh, we should do, you know, tighten up, toughen up these laws, confiscate these unregistered, these dirt bikes, these ATVs, etc. We got to just crack down. So talk about your, your latest look at this and answer the why for city residents who might not understand why the rest of Pennsylvania may not support this. Yeah, so this is kind of two uh, dueling issues here. Um, on one half of this, uh, the General Assembly is paying more attention to the problem of dirt bikes on city streets and being operated unsafely. Um, you know, last session they passed a law um, basically curtailing dirt bikes and ATVs in cities across the Commonwealth statewide. Um, on the other hand, uh, this is kind of butting up against Pennsylvania's tradition of having a lot of small localities, small municipalities making their own rules. Um, so we now have a state law that uh, basically knocks out dirt bikes, ATVs in cities and says it's illegal. You can't drive these down. Um, but on the other hand, this has superseded some local laws. And the effect in Philadelphia is that Philadelphia had a stronger law before the state law. Um, both laws allow police to confiscate and seize uh, dirt bikes and destroy them. Um, but Philadelphia actually had a much higher uh, fine. Um, state law, the first offense is about a fine between 50 to $200 um, and then a 100 to $300 fine after any other um, offenses. Whereas in Philadelphia, it starts at a $2,000 penalty along with the seizure of the vehicle. Um, so this is kind of going back and forth of some localities want more flexibility on this. Um, and so we have a bill floating around right now in the state house sponsored by Representative Ed Nielsen, who's looking to essentially exempt Philadelphia from the state law so they can go back to enforcing its more harsh uh, penalty. Yeah. You know, I think of, you know, moving around and being with my brother when we were, you know, teenagers or preteens. And he had one of these. He had a dirt bike. My brother, John. And when you're out in the country, though, I think there is a different attitude because you're off road, you're not bothering anybody, a rural area. A lot of people may have this, an ATV, et cetera. It's like the snowmobile, the ATV, right, the dirt bike. But I do think there's a disconnect when you think about an urban area or an area that's more densely populated. And it, it wreaks havoc here. That same vehicle in a rural area is no problem and maybe a common thing that people might have. So they have to balance this out. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's it's a couple things here, right? Where there's the safety implications of if you're driving it down Broad Street in Philadelphia, that's a much bigger issue <laughs> than if you're an hour outside. Um, you know, there, there's the noise concerns, the noise pollution that comes from it. Um, so yeah, there there's a there, there's a cultural clash, you can say. And Philadelphia is not the only place that has this problem. I mean, Washington D.C., Baltimore, a lot of larger cities up the East Coast. Um, also, Pittsburgh's having growing problems with this since COVID. It seems. Uh, so yeah, it, it's hard to balance this. But I think what's important, at least when I was speaking with Nielsen, he really emphasized this idea of giving localities flexibility on how to deal with this. You know, we need the laws in place so that uh, you know police can actually punish people violating the law like this. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to have one statewide rule about this is when you can chase someone, this is when you can't, because um, there's just a lot of local uh, knowledge that goes into making sure that you're keeping the public safe, but also not allowing people to just openly flout the law and put others in danger. Yeah, and I think, you know, your your headline in, in uh, the centersquare.com is where people can find you, um, Anthony Hannon. But I, w- I would say this, it's the illegal dirt bikes, the, we have to recognize the illegal activity. And and a piece of this, I think, is what you're saying. You know, looking at local municipalities, one one dirt bike and one behavior and a rural road or on private property obviously is very different from a busy city street. And so um, I, I just love that you're looking at this as well. Some other topics that I know are trending as we as we think about blaming and I'll and I'll just ask your take on this because I know that you've written about, for example, in one of the topics trending on the, the center square is talking about uh, guns and gun control in Pennsylvania. And this is obviously an incendiary topic, but if we look at a device, whether it's a dirt bike or whether it's a firearm, is there a license for it? Is it is it legally owned? Is it properly legally used? And so. Can we apply a similar standard that it's not about an object, a device, a dirt bike, a firearm, a hunting rifle, etc., but rather looking at the legality of the ownership and then the the person's accountability when they're either holding or possessing that that device, whatever that is? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's a fair way to go about it. Um, you know, not necessarily just criminalizing the ownership of a dirt bike or a gun just because you're in the city or allowing it because you're in the country. Um, you know, there, there's there's always that issue of balancing safety versus freedom and all these other things. Uh, I, I think it helps when you can kind of divvy up the differences here, right? Mm-hmm. Where when you're dealing with in Philadelphia, an issue of having illegal guns, um, but at the same time, there's also the uh, the fairly regular criticism now with the district attorney not prosecuting um, people who are charged with having an illegal gun. Um, so I, I think, you know, things like that play into it. Um, I think also finding ways to have a place where people can legally pursue these activities. Mm-hmm. So again, when I was interviewing uh, Ed Nielsen, he talked about looking into parks and they've, they've spoken with the um, Department of Conservation and Natural Resources about trying to find some safe riding spaces for dirt bikes near Philadelphia. So, you know, if you can find these places where you're, you know, increasing outdoor recreation, giving people a place to go, you know, riding a dirt bike is fun. If anyone's been on it, it's very clear what the appeal is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if we can find some solution like that, you can really more easily separate, you know, the, the joyriding aspect from it, from the more public danger, public safety issues that pop up here. Yeah, well said. I noticed uh, one of your also another recent article that you've written 
You talked about this federal mandate. You start out by talking about the federal mandate requiring Pennsylvania to create this plan on how to protect residents along roadways and then community meetings being held over the next few months over the summer to gather some more information. This is PennDOT. Can you talk about this and the recent committee meeting and talking about the progress? And it's called Vulnerable Road User Safety Assessment. Can you, can you just share that with me and, and what you're finding out about this? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so this is coming out of a meeting from PennDOT's uh, Pedal Cycle and Pedestrian Advisory Committee where, you know, they, they meet a few times a year and they discuss issues, you know, relevant to people, pedestrians, to cyclists, all that sort of thing. Um, the, the broader context here is that pedestrian deaths have been increasing in Pennsylvania. Um, they're up by about more than 20 percent since 2019. Um, we're also seeing uh, uh, higher levels of traffic fatalities, um, where if we look at the past couple of years, we've kind of hit uh, the highest rate of traffic deaths we've had in the past 20 years or so. Um, so in, in broader context here, roads are, or roads are getting a little less safe, where some people say this is from the design of the roads. Other people point to just the size of the cars, where an injury turns into a death now. Um, but this is basically, the, over the next few months, we're looking at a new um, plan coming out called the Vulnerable Road User Safety Assessment. Um, and basically trying to look at, you know, across Pennsylvania, how can we improve safety for pedestrians, for cyclists in these high-risk areas where we're seeing more more accidents, more deaths? Um, so this is coming out of a, a federal law um, that's requiring these plans for each state to publish by November 15th. Uh, so we're basically in the uh, kind of the fact-finding and analysis, analysis um, area of this. Uh, so as we're looking ahead um, over the next, uh, I suppose, summer months, July and August, um, there's going to be a lot of an- analysis of data through a uh, through a consultant that PennDOT's hired to look for and identify these high-risk areas. And then July and August, we'll also see a lot of uh, meetings of uh, local governments, regional transportation groups, community groups, basically trying to get more input, more local knowledge on uh, where the concerns are across the Commonwealth, what we need to watch out for, and how we can build safe, safer streets for, for motorists, for pedestrians, for cyclists. Um, so we should have some final draft uh, by mid-October. In November, we should have some sort of published uh, report to see, you know, w- what we can do to keep people safer in Pennsylvania. You know, Anthony, moving forward, and I, and I hope we can check in with you from time to time, as we've been doing. Love your your reporting, which sometimes is off-road, excuse the pun. But I wonder, <laughs> I you know, what comes to mind when they talk, PennDOT says, well, safer streets. And I understand that's their focus. But my dad often talks about the history of even a, a very famous, you, you might not know, um, have heard of him, Johnny Carson, who was in New York City, course, then moved out west, right? And so he would joke about the fact, moving from New York on the east coast to the west coast, he said, what's up with the pedestrians? They don't even look both ways. They have the right of way. And it was a completely new thing in America. It started on the west coast. And I have to wonder, as you know, my 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 dad often talked about this, that people over time, it used to be that you had to, if you were that pedestrian or bicyclist, you had to be on the offense and the defense because you are the smaller, you know, person or vehicle on the roadway. And if somebody's distracted, and this was before cell phones that he was talking about. And so I wonder if they look at education as far as even in the schools to talk about even though you're the pedestrian or the bicyclist, 
you have the highest risk of being injured if, God forbid, that motorist doesn't see you, is distracted, etc. And so education and also thinking about the fact that even though you have the right of way, don't be defiant about it because you're the one who loses. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't. I don't hear. I don't hear from the reporting on these meetings where they they're saying, "Oh, we have to make bike lanes and we have to make them wider and we have to, uh, you know what I mean? We have to make them red or we have to do this." And nobody seems to be saying, "Let's educate people, even school kids and adults, and and even look toward licensing people or something." I don't know. Do you know what I mean? More yeah, I, educational. Yeah, so I would I would push back on that a little bit. Um, I, I think it is important um, to push that education and get that out there and put the onus on people uh, just so they're aware of their surroundings. Um, but also, I mean, just walking around Philadelphia or biking around here. I mean, what I see, I, there, there's two parts to this. One is the way a lot of these vehicles are being made these days. There's more blind spots. Mm-hmm. And so True. drivers are not Great. necessarily able to see as much. Um, there's also the, just the issue of being distracted. I mean, cell phones, messing with the radio, anything else. I mean, I've had multiple times in Philadelphia, I'll just be crossing in the crosswalk and someone's not paying attention to the light because they're looking at their phone. I've had some close calls that way. Um, so I, I think it's, it's very important for cyclists and pedestrians to, you know, don't assume the car sees you or is going to stop. You need to be aware of your surroundings. Um, but at the same time, when you look at where people are getting struck, a lot of times, you know, this is a car turning right on red and looking left but not right. Yeah. Um, you know, people have to be aware when they're walking. But at the same time, I, I think it's one of those things where when we're thinking about road design, road design is not good just for pedestrians walking or just for people cycling. Road design is important because we don't want to put motorists at the risk of seriously injuring or killing someone because they've designed it a way where People aren't necessarily being seen before they cross the street or a bike just kind of sneaks up because they don't have a clear sight line. Um, so I, I think that, you know, this is an issue that hits everybody, whether you're walking or whether you're driving. Um, more education is great, but at the same time, I think uh, it'd be good to demand more from, say, agencies to make sure they're taking in, you know, a lot of fail-safe issues of, you know, if, if someone isn't paying attention, is there a way to design this road better to protect everyone, whether they're in a car or out of a car? But yeah. education is very, very important on this. Yeah, no, I, I will say in, our, in Philadelphia, the road, we, we're on a one-way road in the city of Philadelphia, and we wouldn't let our kids walk to school, which was nearby, because that mm-hmm. they changed it with the new kind of broader markings and the bike lane. It's amazing, and some, some uh, strategically placed speed bumps, at, or cushions, they call them. It's amazing how much it has made our road safer for everybody, even children mm-hmm. playing in the neighborhood and and it creates then a, a better community feel because people are not racing through your neighborhood at you know 50 miles an hour and that sort of thing so it's a quality of life issue too for sure yeah and i i would say too i don't want to put too much uh, pressure on pindot here Pindot <laughs> has all on their plate um but there, there are a lot of those kind of local versus state-owned roadway issues mm-hmm. um where you'll see a lot of local legislators or state representatives I've yeah. talked to complain about that dynamic of they want to make the street safer, but state law makes it much more complicated and they don't have the flexibility. Yeah. So it, 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 gets, it gets very complicated, it seems. Every time I write a story on this, there's another angle or issue that I uh, hadn't seen before. Well put. Anthony Hennon, what else are you, what else are you working on? What else am I working on? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of focus on urban design and roadway safety. Um, I'm following the rebuilding of Interstate 95, which, you know, everyone is very happy and relaxed about, of course. 
Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing some reporting on state licensing issues surrounding plumbing and plumbers. Uh, so there, there, there's a lot there's a lot of stuff happening right now in the state house, but there's a lot of interesting um, issues from op- opioid funding and responses to you know law enforcement staffing um, across the Commonwealth. What's what is give me a headline on the state licensing and plumbing and plumbers. <laughs> yeah, so uh, someone against it called the uh, plumbing license a coup d'etat um, for plumbers against um, other utility workers. Basically, Pennsylvania is one of a handful of states that does not have a statewide licensing regime for plumbers. A lot of this is based on localities and municipalities making up their own rules here. Um, so there's talk of changing to a more state-driven system, um, but there's also caution against that of over-regulating yeah. or uh, creating new costs or creating more barriers to people becoming a plumber if we switch to the state licensing. Um, by the same time, that may help uh, make it a little easier for uh, other states to recognize Pencil- Pennsylvania plumbers and being licensed. So there, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues going into that. Um, I don't think it's the last story I'll be writing about that. Well, we look forward to your updates. Uh, great reporting, Anthony Hannon. Thank you. And you can find his work at the Center Square. Previously, I know you worked for Philadelphia Weekly, and um, and as well the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal. So, and you're managing editor of the XPA. Is it how do I pronounce it? It's expatalachians. Expatalachians. Thank you. But I love I love your dynamic and the diversity of you know. I know that you grew up along the the border there in in the Appalachian area and so on and so forth. That you love that area. So I love all your different podcasts and that you look at issues that many times people, journalists don't sit through these meetings or cover these extensively as you do, but ultimately these are quality of life issues for all of us. So we really appreciate you, Anthony. Of course. Thank you so much, Don. I appreciate that. <laughs> Have a great weekend. Anthony Hennon. You thank too. You. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 